All right. Well, we're glad you are with us both in the room and those watching online. It's going to be a great day together as we study the scriptures. So, hey, if you got your Bible, join me in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. If you got your Fresh Start Bible, uh, you can turn to page 953. If you don't have a Bible, you can scan the QR code and follow along digitally or you can grab a Bible from the merch area on your way out free of charge. And if you want to pay it forward, they're $10 for the next person to get a Bible that comes after you. Uh, Acts chapter 4, we've been going through this collection. And I just want to say, uh, man, what a great time we had yesterday at the XO Marriage Conference here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of fun. A lot of, lot, of, lot of good times. And so if you missed the XO Marriage Conference, you missed it. And uh, you should come next year. Uh, it's going to happen towards the end of August again. And it's a great, great day event uh, as we pursue God and learn to better pursue our spouses. Acts chapter 4 is where we're at. I'm going to ask today, we've done this for a little while, um, and, and I realize that, but uh, I have to stand the whole time, so you can stand for a little bit of the time. We can be in this together, right? Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? And we stand to remind ourselves that the Word of God is not only something to be heard, but it is something to be embodied and obeyed. And so as we stand in honor of that, we're reminding ourselves of those things. Acts chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 32, and then it rolls right into chapter 5, and we'll read to verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing of the, uh, was upon them all. There was no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Chapter 5. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full of mount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. I think that's like the understatement of the century. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? 
the young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Let's pray. Lord, oh my. Lord, as we come to your word, would you illuminate truth to us? Would you help us see Jesus in this text? May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. And Lord, may our ears be open to hear your whispers and your truth today. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all the people of God said, amen. Hey, you can be seated. Uh, Truth be told, I don't know that I have ever preached this passage. Uh, And to be honest, it's a passage that I uh, gladly have avoided uh, for the 20 years of ministry and pastoral work. Uh, This is not like your Sunday school text, right? You're not like telling this story to the five-year-olds with the felt boards and illustrations, right? Like this is not like one of those stories. In fact, some of you, like you're hearing this and you're seeing this text and you're kind of new to studying the scripture. You're like, I don't know what I just walked into and I might walk out real quick if people start sitting down on welcome. Like, like I saw people fall down before and I'm like, I'm heading out if I see that again. Like I just, I ain't, I ain't sure I want to, I knew that if I walked in those doors, lightning would strike me. I knew like, here it comes. And truth be told, it's a bit of a challenging text in a lot of ways. And there's a lot going on behind the scenes that require us to understand the backstory of the entirety of the scriptures to understand what is happening here. And, and I'll unveil and, and walk us through some of that as we go. But, but what I want to start with is where we're at here in Acts chapter 4 at the very end. What, what I want us to realize is that from the beginning of this book, we have seen the Lord begin to pour out in an amazing way and something uncommon began to take place. That there was this sense of coming together. There was this sense of yielding and surrender that was occurring among all the people. A yieldedness, a surrendering to the Lord Yahweh as God Almighty. And there was this holy reverence that has pervaded and then permeated through the first four chapters of this collection of this book. And what I love is that at the very beginning here on verse 32, it says, all the believers were united. Somebody say united in heart and mind. They were of one heart and one mind. What was that one heart and one mind? Here it is. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. They were fully convinced and in unison on the reality that Jesus Christ came. He is Lord and he is the Messiah. They were fully convinced that in Christ we are all being united as one family and body. As one people yet again. Not a people scattered and splintered, 
but a people gathered in unison. I want to talk to you over the next few minutes together around the subject of surrendered, not split. A surrendered life, not a split life. What does it look like to live a surrendered life rather than a split life in loyalty? Now, it is true. You only have one heart, but your heart's affection can go in many places. You and I only have one mind, but your mind can be quite scattered at times. You only have one life, but your life can feel like its priorities are everywhere and feel like you're being spread way too thin. We only have one life and one heart and one mind. That is true. But we have the ability to shift those and send those in all sorts of places. And I think that for many people, we have lived our lives recognizing, hey, Jesus is the Savior. Yay! I've been forgiven. Yes! But we have split our loves and our loyalties across anything and everything that we want to seek significance from. And if we're not careful, we can continue to splinter our hearts and minds and find ourselves in an unstable place. I want to call us as a church, if we're going to become the radiant people of God, if we're going to honor the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to recognize that what we see and learn from the early church is this, that they had a united heart and mind. And that is a a united heart and mind is one that is surrendered to Jesus's vision for your life. And it is not a life of divided loyalty. This is the first thing I want to I talk about today. That, that a united heart and mind is a surrendered life to Jesus's, don't miss this, vision for your life. You have a vision for your life. The world has a vision for your life. Your in-laws might have a vision for your life. Your mom and dad might have a vision for your life. The most important vision for your life is Jesus's vision for your life. And it is not a life of divided loyalty. It is a life of singular affection and attention. And it is to Jesus and Jesus alone. He is both Lord and Messiah. This is what we're seeing laid out, what we're seeing expressed in the text, what we're we're seeing uh, them demonstrate something incredibly uncommon. You know what's common in our culture? Having a divided life, having your own vision for your life. In fact, we talk about having our own vision boards for our life where you can put whatever you want to pin up on your vision board, and if you think about it long enough and speak positively enough about it, you can like manifest your own vision for your life. That's going to be really shallow and still lead you to hell. That was a little strong. I didn't really mean for it to be like so like... But, but if ever there was a text to be drop dead serious... <laughs> see what I did there? See, see, see this is it. A united heart and mind is a surrendered life to Jesus' vision for your life. And when I talk about Jesus' vision for your life, I'm talking about your sexuality. I'm talking about your finances that you steward. I'm talking about how you operate in your home, how you are employed in your place of work, 
how you treat the people that you like and the people that you intentionally sit far away from in church. <laughs> might not be a good Sunday to be looking around. You might just like, should have watched this one at home. Uh, I'm talking about Jesus' vision for how you embody and embrace the life of the people of God in the church. I'm talking about Jesus' vision for your whole life. And Jesus' vision for your whole life is that your whole life would be made whole. And it is only his ways that lead to that truth. It is only his ways that lead to that path. It is only his vision for your life that will actually bring about the flourishing that you long for and that you are craving for. He is Lord. And can I just say, when it comes to the realities of our life, we have many divided affections and loyalties. And whatever we are unwilling to yield to God's direction and instruction, we turn into an idol and allow it to divide loyalties to grow. Anything that you're unwilling to allow God's direction in in your life will become an idol that that you give your loyalty to. If you do not allow God's direction for how you parent your children, your children will become an idol in your loyalties of your life. If you do not allow the vision of Jesus to be the guiding direction for your life, your business and your life in the workplace will become a divided, split loyalty, and it will become an idol for your life. If you do not allow the vision of Jesus for your money to become uh, directed by him and governed by him, it will become an idol in which you give your affection and your loyalty to. If... You can fill in the blank with anything that you are unwilling to yield to him. It can become an idol for your life, and it'll split your loyalty and your division. Uh, Just uh, probably a couple months now, I have lived without something that I have loved greatly in my life. Sports center. Some of you are like, oh, man, this is about to get here. I haven't watched a single episode of Sports Center in several months. Ask me how I'm doing. Actually, don't ask me. I don't want to be honest. Like, like football season's about to kick off, and I'm really concerned about my fantasy football teams because I'm not getting the right information all the time. I am a little bit nervous. I didn't do it because Sports Center was a sin. I did it because the Lord said, get rid of it. It's become a something And at the end of the day, it was just a simple test. Will you yield it to me? Will will you yield it to the direction of God? And if you are unwilling to yield your relationship, if you are unwilling to yield uh, something that you enjoy, a hobby, an activity, your perspective, your opinion, your, your workplace, like whatever it is, fill in the blank. If you're unwilling to yield it, it becomes an idol eventually. And what we see here is reminiscent of what we talked about last week in James chapter 1. Remember James 1, verse 7 and 8? Let me just read it to you real quick. It says this, Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Any area of your life where you feel like there is instability 
is likely a place that there is divided loyalty that is yet to be yielded to Jesus as Lord. Jesus' vision for your life is better than your vision for your life. And any area that we're unwilling to yield to him creates a divided loyalty. It is a divided loyalty. It, it is split. And Jesus is inviting us as a church to examine our lives and not live with split spiritual personalities any longer. To not live with split loyalties any longer. To allow him to have all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength first. And then watch how his righteousness leads us in all those other things along the way. One of the things that we see here in the text is around the issue of money and money management. Generosity in the early church and what we see examined in the demonstration of this generosity is them yielding everything of their life, saying, Lord, it's yours. You can have it. I'm bringing it to you, Lord. Generosity is an outworking reality of an inward heart change, something surrendered to him. This message is not a message about you giving to the church. This message is about your whole life not being divided and rather surrendered wholly to him. That's what this message is about. But money is a part of this text and it's a part of the equation. And so I think it's important that we recognize it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, listen, listen to this instruction from the Apostle Paul to Timothy to teach his church. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our, oh, I love this phrase, enjoyment. Like, like God actually wants you to enjoy your life. Like, that's a good thing. Because he wants your life to flourish and be abundant and, 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 and look healthy in every area. And one of the things that gets in the way of your life being healthy is a divided heart and mind on the issue of finances and money. It says they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Your spiritual well-being is linked to what you do with money. Your spiritual well-being is linked to how undivided your heart is in every area of your life. How you deal with sexuality, how you deal with finances, how you deal with marriage, how you deal with parenting, how you deal with relationships, how you deal with church involvement, how you deal with uh, political involvement and understanding, how you deal with local issues and people and treat your neighbor and, and treat your, 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 the, the people around you. It, it's an all-encompassing understanding of these things. And, and the early church was recognizing, wait a second, our heart and mind, everything is being yielded to God. And we want to recognize that 
as everything is being yielded to God, we want to yield everything to God and take care of the people around us. And that's God's funding model for taking care of the people and the church growing and flourishing. It's just a part of how we've always done it. We bring it in that way as a yielded offering of surrender to the Lord. And, and the early church understood it. They grabbed a hold of it. But this isn't the first time. You go all the way back to the beginning all the way back to when God was establishing his people, the people of God always have been bringers. They've always brought what was in their life, a part of their life, and the resources of their life undivided and brought it in a united way to the Lord. It's happened again and again all throughout the time. This isn't a new thing. It's actually throwback in an ancient thing. Something that has been going on in a pattern and a practice that is, that is good. But there's something even more underneath it than just like having needs and having the resources to meet needs and care for one another. There's something underneath the surface. Be in, in, let me say it this way. There's something unseen about how you steward your resources. And Jesus teaches us about it. When he says this, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, most translations say God and money. But that's not actually what the word is. The, the word there is actually mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word. It's an Aramaic word referencing a Syrian, Babylonian, false god and deity that people worshipped. A god of wealth and riches a God that they would offer sacrifices and in some cases sacrifice their own children to these false gods so that they can continue to live in the riches of their life however they wanted. There, the apostle Paul would call mammon in Ephesians chapter 6 when he references principalities and rulers of the unseen realm. A spiritual force, a spiritual evil, a spiritual deity that is seeking your heart ends in your worship that comes along with the attitude reflected in how you deal and think about money. Because God is after your heart. He's not actually after your money. He's after your heart. An undivided Loyal heart, yielded and surrendered to Jesus' vision. Listen, we cannot become the radiant people of God while simultaneously being radioactive with greed. Again, my goal is not to get you to give more to the church. Although if, man, you're like, I want to sell some land and bring it to the church, that's fantastic. Write a check. Zero, uh, one Million, M-I-L-L-I-O-N. Like, if we're going to talk about giving some stuff, let's talk about giving some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just make it happen. That's not my goal. My goal is to help you get set free from worshiping a false God that promises you something that only God can deliver. Matthew 6 21 through 25, this is one of the times that Jesus uses this word mammon. And in the New Living, it uses the word money, but I want you to notice some things in this passage. Matthew 6, 21 through verse 25. 
Wherever your treasure is, that's dealing with financial things. Wherever your treasures, those things that you treasure the most, those things that you hold in secure things that you don't want to share your password to because somebody might come and the reason why you're not involved in crypto is because you treasure it too much and you're just scared about, come on, like the reason like half of us like weren't all about online banking because somebody was going to take something that was treasured to us. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also, which is so funny, right? You've heard me say it before. Money doesn't follow your heart. Money reveals where your heart is attached to. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And the light you think you have is actually darkness. And how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. Two lords. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon or money. You can't do it. Because at the end of the day, it's actually about your affections. At the end of the day, it's about God or mammon getting you and your servant heart. Mammon wants to enslave you. God wants to set you free and invite you into stewardship. Totally different. Mammon wants to promise you what only God can deliver to you. Mammon wants to promise you security, but only God can bring you security. Mammon wants to promise you happiness, but only God can bring you joy through the Holy Spirit. Mammon wants to promise you significance. Only God can provide your significance. Money wants to tell you how to shape your identity and how you should find value, but only God can shape and breathe life into the identity that he made for you. It's about our loyalties. And that is why I tell you, verse 25, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, if life isn't more than food and your body more than clothes. In other words, can I just like throw that into the Pastor Matthew translation? If you're worried and stressed about money, that's because it has a prop, an improper relationship with the loyalty of your heart. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise. No, we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned as we're paying attention to trends and things and be aware. No, we absolutely need and should do all of those things. I'm just saying that you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon turns us into a slave, but God invites us to be his friends. And, and that word friends isn't like homeboy, buddy, buddy, got a secret handshake. That word friends is the word for patron and a steward in response to the benefactor. That's what it's about. It's not about like I've got my homeboy and I can text Jesus anytime I want. And no, no, you can talk to him anytime you want. It's great. Jesus loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He, all of those things. But he, that word friend is one that, that benefacts you with a gift that reciprocates a relationship in which you steward. It's a proper response of stewardship. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love. It's the principality. It's the spirit that it, behind the money. It's mammon that is trying to get, it, get you to give it your affection, your attention, and your loyalty in that way. 
And where there is evil, listen to me, there is chaos. There is, don't miss this word, instability and confusion. Because a double-minded man with duplicitous loyalties is unstable everywhere they try to put their foot. And if you feel wibbly and wobbly through life right now, you're building your life on the wrong foundations. It says there's, they're divided. There's a split loyalty. There is division. There are two visions at play. An unstable man is somebody with division in their own life, with, with a divided loyalty, divided, split. We don't want to live our lives split in its loyalty. We want to live it surrendered with a singular loyalty to Jesus as Lord over all things. That doesn't mean we get rid of all of our money. It means we take all of our money and we yield it to God's direction in every area. Doesn't mean we get rid of all of our jobs and our relationships. No, it means that we take all of those things and yield it to God's direction and allow him to shape those things in our lives. Often we will say a generosity liturgy at the beginning of our services. And this isn't something that we wrote. We, we actually got it from a church in New York City. I want you to, to listen to the words of this generosity liturgy. We, we've said it before. I want you to hear them very clearly and recognize that they're coming out of many of the texts in which we have read today. It says this, Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you. Bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice, well, that's the way of the world, that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with a renewed mind who withstands the delusion of riches that choke out the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share in your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Guys, this is our heart posture. This is why we want to understand that a united heart and mind is surrendered is a surrendered life to Jesus' vision for your life, not a divided loyalty. And friends, hear me. When we steward and or when we surrender our heart and mind to God, there is no area of our life we feel like we own, but rather steward everything as if it belongs to God. Can, can I just drive it home a little bit more? God asks us to steward our mind and he asks us to steward our heart. And may we surrender it to him as Lord so that we too can be of one heart and mind that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Amen? This is what we're after. 
And, and this sets up the very next thing that we read in Acts chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira, in contrast to what Barnabas did in selling and surrendering and bringing everything to the Lord, they sold some land too and brought a portion of it to the Lord uh, through the local community of the church, which is how God set it up that we don't, we, we give to the Lord through the local church and we bring it in that way. And that's what we do. And, and so we, we, we do that willingly to the Lord and, and they came, but they didn't come in a way that, that was honorable to the Lord. And hear me, it wasn't the amount of money that was dishonoring to the Lord. It was their heart that wanted to deceive other people that the Lord took issue with. In other words, like, hey, guys, I sold some land. I wanted to bring it to the church. Look how good of a giver I am. Oh, is this all of it? Yep, sure is. The issue wasn't money. It was that they lied. The issue wasn't that they didn't come with a generous gift. The issue was they were posing and pretending and living with hypocrisy. That was the issue. In fact, this idea, I know we're reading this and we're like, dang, man, they like straight, straight up like dead, dead, like, yep. But again, but again, but again, this is a hyperlink to something that was consistent throughout all of the scriptures. What was it? Once a year, the high priest would offer sacrifices and make cleansing and, and would, would, allow, would walk through a process of becoming purified and holy through their sacrifices. The word holy is another word for transparent. And they would make and all these offerings and sacrifices and become holy so that they could go into one time of year the holy of holies to stand in the presence of God and be one in the presence of God. And if they walked into the presence of God in a profane way or in an unholy or unworthy manner, they would drop dead. And so as they would go in, they would tie like strings and ropes and bells around the ankles of the priests. And if they ever stopped hearing the bells, like a cowbell, like if they ever stopped hearing the bells jingle, they knew to start pulling. But as long as they heard the bells, they knew, okay, they can stand in the presence of the Lord. Listen, listen. Why does that have to do with this? Because you are not just a person. You are called and I am called to receive the person of the Holy Spirit and be the containers for now the Holy of Holies that abides within us through the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible doesn't call you just a person. The Bible's invitation to you through the cross is that you can receive purity and wholeness and forgiveness so that you can become a priest in the household of God. That's what the New Testament refers to you as. Not people, not a crowd, but priest. A kingdom and nation of priests and priestesses. We are priests who minister to the Lord and on the Lord's behalf. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are not like Peter. Like Peter, the one who asked the question and saw them fall dead. That same Peter wrote this text. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. 
You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wondrous light. This is the invitation to follow Jesus. This is the invitation of what we remind ourselves when we come to the table of the Lord, that he forgave us, that he's renewing us, that it's his that is purifying and cleansing us so that we can stand in the presence of God. And we don't need to come standing in the presence of God pretending like we got our crap together. Sorry, again. We don't need to come pretending like I got it all together. We're actually coming in recognition that we've been made priests by him. And this is a holy thing that we do as we gather and we sing and we worship. And I don't need to put on pretense and I don't need to pretend because I don't need a deceptive heart within me. I need a renewed, surrendered heart within me. How are you coming to the Lord? What is the loyalty of your life looking like? Listen, friends, here's the second big idea today. A united heart and mind is an honest person, not a duplicitous person. It's an honest person, not a perfect person. It's not the point. The priests themselves weren't perfect, but they were purified. You aren't going to be perfect, but you can be purified. I can be purified. We can receive of that forgiveness and recognize that we're not called to just be bystanders on the outside. We're actually called to be priests, royal and holy before God, demonstrating good works and helping lead others into the encounters with God. You are called to be a minister, not a member of a spiritual society. This is why we encourage you to go through growth track, which starts in two weeks. So, so that you can become assimilated and understand what this house and what we're about and where we're at and discover your gifts and how God wants to redeem and help you become holy so that you can be a priest who is ministering to the Lord and to one another in the house of the Lord. And many of us stall out in our growth with God because we never take a step and start serving other people. You weren't called to sit in idle on the sidelines. You've been redeemed and called holy and royal to be a priest who is ministering unto the Lord and to the family of God around you. This is what we're called to do. Friends, Ananias and Sapphira didn't receive judgment because it was a money issue. It was because they were deceiving others and pretending and living with hypocrisy. In other words, they were pretending to have done something that they never did. Pretending to have brought it all, but they never did. And Peter goes to Sapphira and gives her an opportunity to repent and make it right. And she just lies again to covers it up instead of receiving repentance. She could have spared her own self had she been honest and authentic and repented. Because God always relents in those moments. Peter asking Sapphira, is this really all of it? was just like God coming to Adam and Eve in the garden. Hey, guys, where are you? Why are you hiding? It was a moment where they were being confronted with the holiness and purity of God. And they had an opportunity 
Friends, I long for our church and our community to be a place full of mercy. Not of condemning people who have messed up, but of continually helping people to find their way back to Jesus every time they do. We don't need to pretend that we got it all together, but let's not become permissible to sin either. It's just how I am. Just me be me. We're all sinners. Yeah, we'll quit being one. Like, ready, go. Like, you want to be a sinner? You want to be saved? Make up your mind. Like, start moving. Repentance isn't about being perfect, but rather changing the posture of your life to start moving back towards Jesus. Man, when people acknowledge I've messed up, I haven't done it right, how should we respond? We ought not respond with religiously legalistic, with shame and distancing and trying to create performance measures for them to meet as some standard. No. Nor do we need to be dismissive and permissive. Well, we all just sin it. It'll be fine. No. We want to point them to Jesus who can heal and forgive and redeem us too. We don't have to live trying to pretend like it's okay. We can be honest and say it's not okay, but I want to see Jesus today. This is who we are as a people. Oh, and we have to break down walls and barriers of so much hurt and so much pain and so much shame. Friends, but can I help you with something? And this is something that God has been... I knew when I got to this part it would be difficult. God has been peeling back layers in my own heart as of late. And God will not heal the you that you are pretending to be. He only can heal the you that you are willing to reveal before him. Because when we pretend we're walking in pride and the Bible says that God resists the proud, you don't even get into his presence. You don't get entrance. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Friends, a pure life before God is moving towards God. It's not flirting with the line of the profane. It's about moving in the opposite direction. We're righteous because of Jesus, but we often pollute our hearts as we flirt more and more with the line of sin and then pretend like we're not. Second Timothy 3. It says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but will reject the power that could make them godly. 
let's not be those people. Let's live in a way that says we want to have one mind and heart and mind, and it's united, surrendering to Jesus' vision for our life and not with divided loyalties, loving ourselves and our way and what people think about us more than allowing God to love the real us, pretending to have everything okay, and, and man, we really need prayer. I mean, how many times has the Lord pricked your heart and says, hey, go to the prayer team and get prayer? And you're like, yeah, no, they're busy. Let me go. And you just made excuses. You walked right out. I've done it. What is it that God could do among us? What miraculous move of God could we see if we fully surrendered our life united in loyalty and we pursued his purity in our lives what would God do among us with the people surrendered with one heart and one mind not divided loyalties not pretending and living a duplicitous life but one where he's calling us into purity and holiness and honesty and transparency allowing ourselves to really be healed. What could God do among a people like that? I don't know, but I'd really like to find out. How about you? How about you? Today as we end, normally we, we, we stand, and we just ask the Holy Spirit what to say, what he's saying to us. But I really um, felt like the Lord says, what I'm saying to your people is to surrender. That's what I'm saying. And so that's what I want us to do. So if you are physically able, I want you to turn your chair into an altar and bow and surrender to the king. If you're not able, just get as low as you can in your seat. It's really okay. And would you just begin to ask the Lord to examine what are the areas where you've been unsurrendered and unyielded and had divided loyalties? And today, let's take the moment that Sapphira missed and let's be honest before the Lord what those are in you and me. Thank you that 
you are the great I am. And you want to come live in us. So, Lord, may we respond with a surrendered heart and loyalty to you. May we live as if you are great and worthy to be praised in every area of our life. Lord, where we've been trying to control outcomes, Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, where we've been living for our own pleasures and tried to find security and satisfaction with financial realities, God, would you forgive us? God, where we've profaned your name and polluted what it meant to be a follower of Jesus where we've hurt others and responded with legalism and Lord where we've just been permissive of of things in our lives Lord would you forgive us our sins Lord we posture our hearts in a way this is God we want to pursue you with all of our heart Lord I'm reminded of the promise in Ezekiel where it says you will give us a new heart and you will put your spirit in us. So Lord, today as we surrender fresh, would you give us a new, clean, pure heart? A heart that is righteous. And Lord, would you give your spirit in us? The spirit that brings us strength, the spirit that empowers us, your life that animates who we are and allows our worship to be holy and clean and allows us to move forward as priests in your kingdom. So, Lord, we just say, here we are. We say yes to you, Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you that the work that you began in us is a good work. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. gracefully and as slowly as you need. (laughs) Make your way to your feet. Was the Lord speaking to you today? Let's speak blessing over one another. Can we do that? It's up on the screen, nice and strong. Let's declare this over one another. Ready? Let's go. The Lord bless you and keep you. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.